You're listening to Alcoholics Alive, where recovered members of Alcoholics Anonymous share their experience on how they live AA as a way of life. None of our participants get paid or speak for AA. Here are your hosts, Shank and Wayne. Shank, after that first episode with 24-hour John... I realize that our common welfare does come first. So that's why we're back today. Oh, okay. yeah. That's good. That's good. We've had, uh, and we had some really great feedback from the first meeting shrapnel. So we appreciate that. Jerry Prince of shrapnel. We, we've determined that, uh, that's your new nickname. Yes. I got, I got ousted or busted or called out for actually using shrapnel during the meeting shrapnel session so i don't know keep coming back works if you work it (laughs) (laughs) all right well i'm excited for our guest today um our guest today is shelly shelly how are you i'm doing well how are you doing doing well doing well good to be here glad to have you tell us a little bit about yourself well i'm shelly i'm an alcoholic my sobriety date is june 9th 2003 uh, I live in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, my home group is uh, There's a Solution and Carrie. And um, I came to Raleigh. I'm from here, but I I came back here to get sober. I had moved away when I was a teenager and um, ended up living in New York City for the last four years of my drinking. And um, I came back to Raleigh to, or I came back to North Carolina to go to treatment. And uh, kept thinking I was just going to, you know, clean this up, take care of this, and then I was going to head on back. And I've been here ever since. Um, and the recovery is really good here, and I'm glad that I stayed. Um, but I, how I kind of ended up in that situation was, you know, there's a line in, in the doctor's opinion that talks about um, these men were not drinking to escape. They were drinking to overcome a craving beyond their mental control and just like so many lines in the book that was one that when I read it when I was new I thought like how did they know like they were able to put words to my own experience that I had never been able to put words to myself and you know the end of my drinking was like that and I had stopped doing all the things that in life that I felt like made me who I was my entire identity revolved around drinking. Um, I was a bar drinker. I was not a very social person, but I needed to be around people when I was drinking. Um, I never kept alcohol in my house, um, but I went. So what that ended up looking like is I just wasn't ever home, you know, so I would, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but there were like ways that I would try to control my drinking. One of them was by not keeping it at home, but I, I wasn't able to. And so the end of my drinking was me drinking when I didn't want to. Um, Drinking um, compounded all of the problems that I had originally used it to find relief from. I wanted to die every single second of the day. I was not able to take my own life and I was not opposed to my life being taken from me. Um, I didn't black out very often. And so I remembered 
almost everything that happened the night before and I would kind of come to and all of those feelings and thoughts would come flooding back to me and it would be too much. Um, the ex Living in the world as a human felt too much. I felt completely ill-equipped to be a person on the earth. And I would see all these people walking around, going to work, doing the things that, that I now do in my life, you know, just living a, a life and being completely confounded by how they were able to manage that and knowing that I couldn't. And so, you know, how I ended up in Alcoholics Anonymous was really not by, um, I didn't seek AA out really. Uh, I had gone to it a, like a, um, a drinking an alcohol counselor at one point, and I still owe her payment for that. I don't even remember her name or where the office Whoa. was. Uh oh, I know. Jank, write that down. We're gonna have to get her later. Uh, right. Yeah, she's it's one of those. It's on my list. If that ever comes up, I've got it in my pocket. But like, I don't know who that person was. <laughs> but I didn't. And I, what I wanted her to do was to tell me how to drink normally. And I told her like 60% of the truth of how I was drinking. And so she just gave me an AA meeting schedule, you know, which was not the solution I was looking for. But in New York, um, there are meetings like around the, I mean, there's all, all the time everywhere. There's a meeting um, that you can go to. And so every day I would wake up and I would pick a meeting that I was going to go to. And then I would get drunk and then I wouldn't go to the meeting because I didn't know that, um, that you can go to a meeting if you've already been drinking. I thought that we, they wouldn't let me in or that I would put people in danger or something. And so I just never went. Um, and I ended up uh, being committed to a mental institution after telling a therapist I was going to take my own life. Um, and that's where I got introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous, was in that hospital. Uh, and that was in two ways. One, uh, I was 12 steps uh, by a bartender who at a bar that I used to drink at, who I had no idea was sober or a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, but she had two years and also someone that I never saw again. Um, and I don't know if she's still out there or if she stayed sober. I hope that she did. And I don't know if she knows that I've stayed sober since that conversation. Um, but she came to visit me in the mental hospital and this girl was tough. Like she was covered in tattoos. The bar she worked at was super rough and she took nothing from nobody and I just remember thinking like this girl's an AA like this is what it looks like like maybe I could fit in there you know <laughs> um but that was an example of the language of heart that we talk about here you know where when she talked about her experience I heard it um and when the doctors in the hospital told me I was an alcoholic or that I couldn't drink again that just made me angry um but when she talked about her drinking and her sobriety uh, I related and identified. And then the other way that hospital introduced me to AA was by members bringing meetings in, uh, just like we do um, down here in our groups. And they would come in and talk about their lives and talk about AA. And they would describe the way that they used to be, which is exactly how I was currently. Mm -hmm. But they seemed happy and they seemed, they just seemed at ease. And they made jokes and laughed at them. And I didn't, I didn't have that. And so all of that kind of planted seeds for me. And I immediately started going to meetings when I got out and I've been here ever since. Hmm. Well, we're glad you made it here. I, um, 
we could start a new session. You might be alcoholic if <laughs> you might be alcoholic <laughs> if you've been twelve step by a bartender. I, that's right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's that's awesome. That's that's great. And maybe well, some you. other shrapnel. Like you can't be a bartender if you're sober. That's she was. Right. She yeah. helped someone. She was. Yeah. That's right. That's awesome. Thank you. Shank, what's our topic today? All right. Today, our topic is tradition two. So what we've been doing in season five is reading the long form, the short form, and then we have some questions from the grapevine checklist. And tradition two long form, which Jerry reminded us is shorter than the short form. Is for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. And then tradition to short form, which is what you typically hear read at meetings. For our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. So the first question here um, and if you all would like to give any background on the tradition, feel free. The first question is, do I criticize or do I trust and support my group officers, AA committees, and office workers, newcomers, old timers? So that's a pretty loaded question. It sure is. <laughs> it is, because you know that if you immediately answer yes, you have to be like, wait, do what? Mm -hmm. I know yes. it, you know? But... I mean, for me, I think all of these two are, are questions that can be aspirational. Like there's there's no um, perfect way to move through life or through Alcoholics Anonymous. And so um, the assumption for me when I look at the questions that they associate with the traditions is that at some point or another, I've probably done all of these things wrong, you know. And so it is important for me to not try to to assume that I can achieve that type of perfection that I'm never going to cross any of these boundaries or make any mistakes here. But that when I do, am I willing to acknowledge that I've done that and to, to turn it right and then to pass that experience on to somebody else? The experience that I always think of <clears throat> when a question like this gets brought up is when I was on the corrections committee and um, like when I was the member of my home group that was the member and someone wanted to be the treasurer and a lot of people were like, no, he shouldn't be the treasurer, blah, blah, blah. Like there were just like whispers behind the scenes. And at that time I was like, that's not AA. Like they shouldn't be saying that everyone should be able to do anything. And then he stole all the money out of the account. <laughs> and it was yeah. somewhat like I thought I was being uh within the bounds of the traditions or a good aa because i didn't particularly care for the person but i'm like you know he should still be able to serve and uh probably against my better judgment i thought i was high and mighty or better than the other people who were like yeah probably probably not uh we can have him do something else and then he stole all the money so um in that i learned it's okay to criticize, like, just because someone is a group officer on an AA committee, an office worker, newcomer, old-timer, it doesn't mean that I can't criticize or have a differing opinion. It doesn't mean that I just have to say I support our trusted servants no matter what, um, mm -hmm. which is kind of what I thought that meant, was like, oh, well, if you get voted in, obviously God made that possible and nothing can go wrong. Mm-hmm. 
Well, here's a question. Do y'all know why the short form is longer than the long form? I don't. No. Do you? I or don't. Or were you just I, asking? <laughs> well, no, I don't. I have tried to find it in some, you know, some writing on it or, you know, why, but I've never been able to, to find it. And I've never, I've talked to some old timers and other folks and I, no one really knows the answer to the question. Um, I think the, your question, Shank, that you asked us, I mean, I think aspirational is probably a good way to put that. It's something that we strive for. Um, I think for the most part, probably I do do it. Most AA members probably are pretty loving and tolerant. I thought about something though, when, when you were reading that, I remember there was at an area assembly one time, there was a, uh, an agenda item that came up where uh, the area had a about $8,000 of a surplus. I'll get real Not specific. Money. What, what the oh, heck? Oh, Lord. And so they were trying to figure out what to do with the money. And the they ultimately came up with, an, uh, with the idea of buying Grapevine subscriptions for... 100 prisons in the area and they were going to spend almost $8,000 on buying a two-year subscription to a hundred different prisons and they were just going to mail them to the prisons and everybody you know it seemed like everybody thought it was a great idea I spoke up and said that maybe it wasn't the best idea and i gave some very i thought were very valid reasons for it the prisons never asked for them uh we were just blind literally not in all cases there were volunteers in some of these prisons that were going to help facilitate it but we were really going to blindly mail grapevines to to prisons and there was no guarantee who was going to get it and, you know, if they were even going to show up. And it seemed to me like there was something better to do with the $8,000. And anyway, I spoke up and, you know, was pretty passionate about what I, you know, what I was doing. And um, it ultimately got voted in, right? The, the area agreed to do it. So, for me, what happened was, and I think where this tradition kind of kicked in was once that decision was made, I mean, I still think it was a bad idea, but I supported it. Once it was, once it, once it was agreed to, I didn't vocally talk bad about it or say, you guys made the wrong decision. I kind of trusted that that vote was fine and I went with it and I helped. You know, I helped try to find the two that showed up at the prison I was going in at the time. We never did get them, but mm. hey, um, now, so I think that's part of the, the tradition coming to life, like in my life, whereas, you know, I didn't necessarily agree with it. Let me back up. I didn't agree with it, <laughs> but the group made the decision. So instead of, you know, sucking on my thumb and taking my toys and going somewhere else, I, I 
trusted that that was the right decision and I tried to support it. And I think that's in line with, with, with the tradition. Now it, it does make me feel better that I think people now have looked back on it and said, <laughs> maybe it wasn't the best decision because there's kind of nothing to show for it. But anyway, it's, uh, that's, that's part of, part of that tradition. It is. And we kind of touched on, I mean, there you kind of touched on the idea of the group conscience and Susie earlier touched on the idea of the trusted servant. And I think there's kind of three components folded into this tradition that are necessary to understand, which is those two. And then also the idea of leadership in Alcoholics Anonymous. And, you know, speaking to the, the group conscience, I, it took me a long time to fully understand how that worked in a group. Um, because as you know, I was not a member of a home group in my first year of sobriety, which I would not recommend, but it, it was an experience I needed to have to see what it was like to try to stay sober without a home group. And then now with one, um, but to watch a, a business meeting or a group come to a decision, it initially looked like they were just taking a vote. Um, but being a member of a group for a long period of time, I watched how these conversations would happen, these discussions would happen, and how the the conscience of the group would come to light. And, you know, one experience that I had early on with that was I joined, this was the second home group I ever had, and it was my longest running home group. I was a member there for about 16 years. And it was, um, some would call it a very strict group. It was very structured. I needed that. I learned a lot there. Um, and there were a few old timers there that, uh, you know, were, had a lot of good experience and people really listened to them. Um, and I learned a lot from them. So I came in pretty hot when I joined. Um, and I, the first business meeting I was ever at, I was like, okay, y'all do this thing that I do not like. We got to change this. Right. So I brought this, uh, at their discussion meeting, they had this, um, I guess a rule, I don't know what, what you call it, the group had agreed that they would only ever call in home group members. And so it was not a meeting in which anybody could just raise their hand to share. And I just thought this is so wrong. Like people need to be able to say what they need to say, you know? Yeah. And so, I mean, so my first business meeting ever at this group, I think it was my first business meeting. I was like, we need to change this. And it produced this really like kind of heated discussion within the group. And, um, and we took it to a vote and the group voted and they agreed with me that uh, we should call on whoever. And I just felt so like, then like, yes, this is, I'm doing good work here. In this group. Yes. Um, and then we go on and, you know, over the next few months as chair people are rotating through, I noticed that at first they, they, you know, let whoever share. And then after a little while, they just start calling on people and then they start calling on home group members. And then within, you know, two or three months time, it was just the way it had always been. And I was astonished, like, but we voted on this, like y'all agreed to this. And I realized that the conscience of the group was never fully decided when we took that vote. Like there was not enough discussion. Yeah. It was um, it was something that people felt very strongly about and that they didn't have the space to uh, work through, you know, their thoughts around it. And, that's kind of what happened is uh, we rushed to a vote. The vote said one thing, the group conscience said something else. And the group kind of, um, you know, took the shape of what the conscience was. And so to, you know, Jerry's point, 
at that stage, I was like, well, I tried, there's nothing I can do. And so I, I then had the experience of going along with this group decision that I initially didn't agree with. And what I got from, from that was I got to see how it worked as intended and what the principle behind that decision was originally, which was that we don't want this meeting to to be about anything other than the solution presented in the book, Alcoholics Anonymous. And so we're going to set a topic and then we're going to call on members that we know have experience with that solution so that we can have the most productive solution oriented meeting that we can. And I benefited from that in my own sobriety of sitting in those meetings for years. And if I had, if I had changed it, I don't know if I would have gotten that. So that brings us Mm. to another one of our questions, which is in group discussions, do I sound off about matters on which I have no experience and little knowledge? (laughs) And I would say that I didn't say anything in business meetings for years and years. And that wasn't because I was studying the traditions at all. It was because I was too fearful to be wrong or to to not have the same opinion as the majority of the people in the room. Now, I'm the queen of overcorrection, so definitely I would have way more um, experience or knowledge on a topic than I would ever need. And I just needed sometimes still everyone to know what is going on and just listen and okay, but that's not exactly right. And that person is trying to like bring up this issue, but they don't really know. And the way they described it isn't correct. Um, so I can kind of still get stuck into that. And I think currently, you know, my sponsor will just say, you know, you don't have the power to change something that the group conscience is going to come back to. Like the group, co- similar to what Shelly was saying, like the group conscience will reveal itself at some point. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is a good question. I, it's evolved for me. I've gone through different stages of it where, to your point, first several years of my sobriety, I just kind of sat mute in business meetings because I was afraid to speak up. Mm. And then I was trying to figure it out probably after about eight years of being sober, then I thought I knew everything. Right. So I would, uh, (laughs) and I don't think I talked a whole lot about stuff. I didn't know anything about, but since it, since my experience worked for me, it would work for everybody Yeah, type thing. You know, and, and just do it this way or just do this, do this. And and I think now, you know, I have a little bit of experience. I've got a little bit of experience and some knowledge. And you just you try to you try to share that when it's going to be beneficial and helpful. Um, but, yeah, I, I would I, I don't think today I would share on something I didn't have experience on or that I didn't have any knowledge on. I think. I think I've seen that happen probably more so now in AA where people will make decisions based on they're uninformed. Mm-hmm. I think it's always happened in AA, but it seems like now a lot of people just kind of will vote for something that they don't understand. And kind of to Shelly's point on that vote they took in her group that time, that a lot of times stuff is voted on before 
people really fully understand or all the information is out. And I've always been taught a group conscious is something that develops through lots of conversation, lots of information, and it's not a vote. It's sometimes, it's ultimately sometimes reflected in a vote, but a lot of people just, you'll see them, hey, I'm right, you're wrong, let's vote. Yeah. And then they make these like hasty votes and it's really not a group conscience. Um, the AA the AA group pamphlet's pretty clear on it. It says a group conscience is something that, that develops over a, lot, a period of time and a lot of discussion, and that sometimes if there's no clear path, the best thing a group can do is make no decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that happened at a, di- a different group that I was a member of. In this, in this group, I had the position of the steering committee chair. So, um, and their steering committee and their business meeting was the same thing. So uh, at the business meetings, I would facilitate these discussions. And this group previously, before the pandemic had offered childcare and then moved to Zoom on, during the pandemic and then was starting back in person. And so uh, we were having a lot of conversation around, should we bring back childcare to the meeting? And the group membership had changed um, some during this time. And it probably took, I don't know, eight months of uh, most of our business meetings discussing this issue. And the first few discussions we had, it was, you know, two or three people talking the loudest uh, about their feelings on this. And most of the people in the group wouldn't speak at all. Um, And they kept trying, you know, I wouldn't call a vote. Nobody would call a vote. And then I remember the meeting that we had in which it had come up again. We're talking about this one more time, you know, and, but what was different about this meeting was that pretty much everybody in the room shared in the discussion. They all spoke up and they all shared a different version of the same thought or feeling around this issue. And it was very clear at that time, oh, okay, this is what the conscience of the group is. Like, we don't even really have to vote on this. Like, we just all said what we want to do. And I think if we had had a vote earlier, it wouldn't have been the case. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, sometimes if the, if the group conscience is, like, properly done, the vote's not even needed. Yeah. It's just like, oh, yeah, hey, we we're all on board. We're all, I can live with that. Let's, let's move forward. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I think to this question, like something that have y'all done in your meeting shrapnel segment, the phrase, would you rather be right? Or would you rather be happy? Like that one, I hear that all the time. Yeah. And for years I, I would nod along with it. Like, yeah, that sounds great. But I had no idea what that meant. Because in mm-hmm. my mind, being right and being happy were the same thing. Like, I could not conceive of feeling okay with being wrong. And that showed up a lot in AA service and business meetings and service committees that I was on. Like, it showed up for me in that I needed people to understand my point of view. And I need it just like in mm-hmm. that, you know, that prayer that comes up around um, the St. Francis prayer, like, seek to understand rather than be understood it was more important to me to feel like i was understood than it was anything else that we were talking about and so a lot of i think what the traditions have taught me is how to slow down 
um, how to set my own, just like the steps did, like set my own self kind of to the side and look at this bigger picture um, and let these principles lead. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that I have the hardest part with, with this tradition is our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. And when I feel like someone is governing, which they may or may not be, you know, I, I just have heard it in the service that I've been doing over the last couple of years, like, oh, this person is a trusted servant. They're a trusted servant. They're a trusted servant. But that does not mean that they're not trying to govern. And it does not mean that um, they're allowing the group conscience to form or to speak. Like there are some people that will just bully their way into um, getting their way or changing something or not changing something. And so that's, I think, currently where I struggle with it because um, there are people that try to govern. I've been that person in a meeting before, you know? So I feel like because I've been yeah. that person, I could probably see it. Um, but sometimes yeah. trying to to talk to people about it is just, it doesn't work out either. Well, people tend to think that the term trusted servant is a title rather than a description of, of an action. And just because you're elected, you said this earlier, just because you're elected into a position does not mean you are automatically going to be trusted through the duration of your holding that position. Mm-hmm. It means that the group trusted you enough in that moment to put you there, but going forward, um, what do we do to earn that trust? And and it's what we do is right there in the phrase, we serve. And so if we're not um, putting that service first, then we will never be trusted by the groups or by A as a whole. And I think that concept of, uh, basically a uh, servant leadership of a, a leader as somebody that puts service first is um, can be challenging because it's different than like other types of leadership, like in business um, out in the world in government. It's not really how uh, people do it. Um, but in AA, you know, it's our leaders are leaders by example. You know, you don't have to have any kind of title in order or credential to be somebody's sponsor, you know, you just have to have gone through the 12 steps and have some experience to offer. And so when we talk about, you'll hear a lot too in AA, like there's no leaders here, there's no leaders here, but that simply isn't true. And this tradition says that, right? Our leaders. Uh, there's a, a section in the service manual, um, I guess like a an essay or an article, whatever you describe, several pages long about leadership in AA. And it describes what that looks like specifically to us. Um, but what, what it has looked like to me in my life and my sobriety, the people that I've wanted to follow or grow towards in AA are the people that, um, are humble, um, not like necessarily like showing off and like, I don't care how many people you sponsor, you know, like, are you going to give me the sponsorship that's going to help me? Um, and I, I don't. I don't think that uh, these traditions are are teaching us how to be in charge necessarily. Um, they're teaching us how to lead by example and how to work within a group. Um, I wrote down this quote from some AA literature, uh, if you don't mind if I read it. It was uh, from A Comes of Age, um, which is, this is um, Bill W. talking about the, introducing the traditions in 1955. 
Um, and he said, in the course of this experience, meaning the experience of the founders of the AA, we have evolved a set of traditional principles by which we live and work together and relate ourselves as a fellowship to the world around us. These principles are called the 12 traditions of alcoholic phenomena. And so there, like we have, like when I was saying earlier, like I don't know how to live in this world. I don't know how to exist. Like I don't know how to have a job. I don't know how to interact with people. You know, the steps and the traditions are the set of principles that are teaching me how to do that. And um, the one of the greatest lessons that I've learned from them is that I'm not going to be right all the time and that that's okay. And that you can learn things and grow from being wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, thank God for rotation in alcoholics anonymous. So if you get a governor instead of a trusted servant, they, they can't keep their job very long, but they just rotate to, to the, to the next the, one on the position. committee. Yeah. <laughs> And not always, but in most cases, you'll see the group will take care of that person. In other words, they, the group will, you know, I want to say push that person out. But if, if a group is alive and active, if you have a governor that comes in, they, they, it, it doesn't last long. Not Maybe you haven't been case. sober longer, there, long there, enough. There are exceptions <laughs> to that. It happens. Um, so our last question is, although I have been sober a few years, am I still willing to serve my turn at AA chores? A good question. Which is kind yeah. of, you know, a little bit of a different direction than those other two questions. It is a good question. What does that have to do with tradition too? Well, I I'm think, not saying it doesn't. I'm just what I, what I think is, you know, the AA chores are typically the things that newcomers do: make the coffee, set up the chairs, clean up, sweep. You know, like the basic things that you can do: shake hands. If you're still like really foggy, this is how I think of it. So, okay. um, now I think what I have run into in my sobriety is that. I came from like a sponsorship group, whatever you want to say, a home group where it was kind of like everyone, even the old timers always talked about how they still make coffee and they still shake hands. And they, so it almost was like the newcomers don't have an opportunity to do that thing that they hear everyone else say. Like when I got sober, I was taught to make the coffee and it sucked and everyone talked crap to me about it. And it's like the newcomers don't have that opportunity because I, you know, at five, six, seven years sober was still the one who was showing up and doing that being like, oh, no, 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 I'm the, I get here and make the coffee. Like, that's how yeah. I am giving to the, you know, so like, yeah. um, I try to, to be aware of that, I guess. And I want to help. I want to be helpful. Um, I'll pick up the slack anywhere it needs to be picked up. But like, I don't always have to be the one like, well, I showed up here at four o'clock and made the coffee and I made sure to get here before everyone else <laughs> to set up the chair. Now I still do those things, um, show up early, um, spend time with members of my home group, but I don't have to be the one doing everything, I think is what it says to me. Yeah, I think the question speaks to being of service in, in the group, like the day-to-day needs of the group and, um, and becoming a leader through that, you know. Um, there is this kind of, or there can be kind of a perceived hierarchy and like a more let's say an unhealthier group or um of which like the newcomers are the ones that are going to make 
you know, make the coffee or mop the floors. And then the old timers are going to be the ones that are the GSR or whatever. And there, there really shouldn't um, necessarily be any kind of hierarchy like that. Like we're all there to do all of those things. Uh, There are some things, you know, to your point about the treasurer that stole money, like there, there are some things that you should take into consideration when electing people in the service Mm -hmm. positions for sure. Um, but many groups will have in place, you know, a sobriety requirement or a group member requirement before those positions are elected. I think it's funny. I feel like if, if as many of people that share about how they made coffee when they got sober did, like how many coffee pots are there? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point, Shelly. That's very um, true. But yeah. I think the, the point is, is that like you can you can pay attention to the people at your group that not necessarily that have been sober the longest, but maybe the people that seem like they're like the most at ease in their life and their sobriety. Sometimes that's the people that have been sober the longest, but not necessarily. And what are they doing at home group? You know, do they show it uh, five minutes before it starts and leave right after? Are they there early? Are they just talking to their friends only? Are they walking around the room seeing if there's somebody they haven't seen before? You know, that's kind of what I look for. And there are people in my group that make the coffee every single time. I don't think I've ever made coffee at my current home group. Um, but I don't, that doesn't mean that I'm not being of service there or I'm not needed there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the most powerful way to lead is by example. Mm-hmm. There's, yeah, there's no doubt about that. And that's not, that's not like some AA concept. That's a, that's a concept you would read about or hear about, you know, anywhere. Um, I didn't learn about it until I reached AA, but that doesn't mean that other people. Sure. Don't. I also yeah, learned I, that <laughs> just because I don't learn something until I arrived to AA does not mean that everyone else in the world doesn't already know it. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of stuff that most of us don't learn until we get to Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah. Yeah. Shank, should we move on to meeting shrapnel? All right, let's move on to meeting shrapnel. Our segment of lore, myth, and sayings frequent, frequently heard in AA. Um, all right, Shelly. What's the first one? Meeting shrapnel number one. Buckle up, Shelly. Acceptance is the answer to all of my problems. Wow! That's a good one. <laughs> That's a good one. You hear that? I hear that all the time. Um, so we're just breaking this one down. Is that what? Yeah. 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 What do you think about it? Um, so I think differently about it today than I used to. For a long time, I took it literally, um, in that I am supposed to accept every single thing that comes my way, and that if I do that, then all my problems will be solved. Um, that has not been my experience and what it looks like to me, I have to really think about what this means, acceptance to me personally. And I believe that there are things in the world that occur that are unacceptable and will always be unacceptable. Um, and that should not happen. Um, you know, injustices in the world, um, children being hurt, things like that. And this isn't telling me that I need to be okay with the things that I don't agree with. So I'm talking about like on my personal day-to-day life as I move through the world. When I am in acceptance about something or when I'm not, if there is something that I literally cannot control, am I trying to will it to be different 
even though I have no power over this whatsoever? Or can I accept that it exists and that I have no power whatsoever over this situation and then adjust my actions accordingly? And when I'm able to be in that space, you know, it doesn't necessarily change the thing that I don't accept, but it changes the way that I react to that thing. And that then changes the problem that I may or may not have. That's the only thing, that's how I look at that. But beyond that, I don't know that all my problems have ever been solved by just agreeing with everything. Oh, come on. What do you think, Jerry? <laughs> well, so this, this comes from a story in the book, the big book, from directly from Dr. Alcoholic Addict. I don't think they call it that anymore. They do not. What's it you called? You knew that. <laughs> What's the story called? I don't know, but you have your book. Acceptance is the answer? Yeah. Well, I've got a third edition here. I don't know what happened to my regular other book, but... Um, it, I, I think in general, it's a good way to live. And it ties into the the analogy before the third step in the book about stopping running the show and trying to control everything um so i think in general trying to accept things and um, do the best you can through through life is is a good way to live i i think it's sometimes this particular one it's it's i don't know if it's overused it's misused i think or misinterpreted sometimes it seems from people that you know they'll tell you just oh just turn it over or you have to accept that and I don't know that we have to accept unacceptable behavior and it kind of implies that a little bit um, so it's not it's probably something that I have probably told people a long time ago you know and it probably used but it's not a it's not a term that I would probably say to anybody right now. And I mean, if all my problems were directly related to my inability to accept things, then that's, that doesn't make any sense to me. Well, it gives us a lot of, of power that I don't know that we have over external things. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I don't think that AA has ever ever asked me to be a doormat um, to anybody or anything. Uh, I talked yeah. about in the ninth step, you know, we're not servile or scraping. Mm -hmm. um, and so I don't I don't think that that's what this is telling us to do. Yeah. Um, I think there's you know there's a um, I forget where it is in the literature, but it's something in, in talking about the traditions when they talk about the letter of the tradition versus the spirit of the tradition. Yeah. And so taking this phrase literally, like acceptance is the answer to all of my, you know, versus the spirit of the thing, which is like, this is only going to help me if I am able to learn to accept things in my life. Um, that's where I feel like people can get hung up in meetings, like the literal interpretation. Yeah. Something that I think is interesting that was pointed out to me a few years ago is this is from someone's story this is like me taking something one that one of you all say in your story and saying this is aa yeah that's true and it's not now with that being said my first big book my prison big book 
the entire page is highlighted, underlined. I read this every day. It's page 417. I had the page marked. Like it was part of my morning routine. I would get up, pray, do some Bible study, and I would read page 417, baby. Like that's what I would do. And I don't know. I did not accept everything during that time. I can assure you of that. Uh, but it helped me a lot. For some reason, just reading that acceptance, thinking that I had some kind of power um, helped me. And I didn't even think of it that way at that time. But for some reason, I just really thought, you know what, I'm going to accept that the loan shark you know stole my shower time and now i have to shower with her um together like acceptance is the answer to that problem and everything is just going to be fine and nothing weird yeah. happened like i don't bring that story up because it was you know, nothing but i just really i could kind of come back to that a lot it did not change my circumstances and horrible stuff still happened but like um i loved it i was yeah. surprised i didn't remember how much i loved it until i opened it up in that book recently and we were just laughing yeah. about it. it's so funny yeah oh dr paul <laughs> that's the guy that wrote the story mm -hmm. um well there used to be a um the little well there's the pamphlet still exists it's a little pamphlet with a dove on the front of it, it says acceptance mm -hmm. <laughs> oh man that thing was so when i was brand new sober and they gave that to me i would read that thing all the time it was it I had never heard the idea of actually just accepting somebody for who they were or accepting a, you know, a consequence, a circumstance. It was kind of new, new info to me. Yeah. Um, I knew other people did that. I did not know that that was available to me. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's right. Mm -hmm. So, um, Shelly, would you want to keep this or scrap it? No, since it, it helps you be in prison, I think you should keep it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh no okay mm. what do you think Jerry I don't know my sobriety hinges on this oh. <laughs> I'm scrapping it <laughs> how dare you Um, I'm scrapping it Shank you gonna scrap it I'm scrapping it alright it's out of here All right, that's, our next awesome. <laughs> our next meeting shrapnel is you're sitting on a drink. Yes, I heard this one too. I don't know that I've ever said that specifically. I I know that I have said these bronzies. If you continue this behavior, I'm pretty sure you're going to take a drink. Sure. Um, yeah, but I don't know about sitting on one. Um, what does that mean exactly? I mean, I working, waiting to pounce. It's like the um, your disease is in the push in the parking lot doing push-ups. Push it's similar. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it kind of really it's it's um, what's the word? Like it's reductive. It kind of takes this like large nuanced experience that we have about recovery and, and reduces it to just this like black or white either i'm gonna get drunk or i'm not and you know for me it's 
Like there are lots of things that I do every single day and have done for a long time that are just kind of a part of my life now that um, you know are in the way of me taking a drink. Like um, it would, I would have to dismantle a lot of uh, things, beliefs, relationships in my life before I, I felt like taking a drink seemed like a good idea. And so the idea that I'm just kind of sitting on it waiting for it to happen it, you know i think it it is really like a fear-based tactic that i don't subscribe to i think there is definitely not underestimating the of alcoholism is important and i used to be very very afraid that i would get like struck drunk you know because i drank so many times not wanting to like telling myself i'm not going to drink today and then i would and so but I haven't felt like that in a long time. I have felt safe and protected from the danger of taking a drink for a very long time. And that's not random either, right? That is a result of the things that I've been doing in AA. And so I don't think that I'm sitting on a drink. Um, I hope that I don't get to the point where somebody feels like they need to say that to me. But if I am, I hope one of y'all do. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, is there another phrase where it's like you're sitting on a something else where this comes from? Like, is there some other phrase? Like, no, I don't think so. So, so listen to this. I spoke at a group recently, and in their closing remarks. It's in their format. This guy says, if you're, this is exactly what's in the format. If you're sitting on a drink, please get with somebody after the meeting. That was just a few weeks ago. I don't know what it means. Now, and I can also tell you that you used to hear this a lot in Alcoholics Anonymous. You don't hear it much anymore. But in the, late 80s early 90s there were many many groups around here that opened their meeting with it that during the, the the opening remarks hey if you're sitting on a drink let us know and we'll turn this into a step one meeting or yeah but is that the same that, as a burning desire well i don't know it's just the fact that we're having to answer the question probably should tell us the uh, <laughs> how effective the comment is um it's got to be I don't know if it's something from a treatment center or what, but it, I, I've, I just don't understand that fear-based kind of sobriety and making people think that they're on thin ice and, you know. Well, there you are people that are, but like, they're typically not doing any of the things that are suggested. So saying to those people, at least my experience, saying to someone I'm sponsoring or someone that's a friend of my home group, like, hey, seems like you're not doing X, Y, and Z. Um, typically they're like, screw you or whatever. Like they yeah. think they're hiding it well, or what, and maybe I'm out of, out of bounds for saying it to them yeah. at that time. But like, I just don't think saying you're sitting on a drink is going to do much well, more anyway. Yeah. So the question for that group that I went to would be to ask them. So after the meeting, has anybody ever come up to you and said, Hey man, I'm sitting on a drink. Can I talk to you? Maybe they have. I don't know. Maybe. That's Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I remember as a newcomer being terrified to talk to anybody. 
mm-hmm. and being terrified of a lot of things as a newcomer. And I, I did call people when I was scared that I was going to drink because that obsession was not immediately removed from me. It took about two years before it was removed. I don't remember exactly when it was. Just I just remember one day being like, I haven't thought about drinking today or yesterday or, you know. But for a long time in recovery, I felt the pull to go drink. And it was like I had this kind of like extra sense. We would go to a restaurant after a meeting and there would be a bar there and I'd be like, why are we at this bar? Mm. Like, what are we doing here? Because all I could see was the liquor bottles out of the corner of my eye just like speaking to me, I guess. And it was just that mental obsession that had not yet been released. And that was that felt precarious. It really did. But what I was told by all the people around me, my sponsors, people in my home group was that it may feel precarious right now, but you're you are to your point, you're doing all of these things that you've been asked to do in AA. And so you actually are safer than you than you feel like you are right now. And I just had to trust that that was true. And it turned out that it was, you know. Shelly, you're right. sitting on a drink. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so do you want to keep it or scrap it, Shelly? Oh, man. I don't think we need that, though. Since we can't define exactly what sitting on it means, then maybe we should scrap it. S- say that again, Shelly. We should what? Since we can't define exactly what sitting on it means, then maybe we should scrap it. Scrap it. All right. I'm scrapping Here. it. Scrap. All right, it's out of here. It's out of right. here. Okay, our last meeting shrapnel was submitted via email. Um, So thank you so much. If you have meeting shrapnel, email it to us. Uh, We'll talk about it. And it is sobriety is the deadly aspect of my alcoholism. I got nothing on this one. I have never heard this before, and I do not know what that means. And so, okay, the only thing that I could really come up with after much uh, consideration is that sobriety kills your alcoholism. Like, sobriety is the, like, is the deadly aspect so that you're not in your alcoholism. I don't know that that's what it means, but that's all I could come up with that I thought made any kind of sense yeah i you know what i remember who sent this to is we could ask them but here's where i think it is i think it means that it kind of ties into that statement that um we've covered this as shrapnel aa will give you a life that will take you away from aa Mm -hmm. i think it's talking about sobriety can get so good to you that that's deadly to you because you'll forget to do certain things and your alcoholism will come back and get you oh so that's the like the deadly aspect of alcoholism is that hey you get a a a sober life and you forget you're alcoholic and you stop doing certain things and your alcoholism comes back and you drink now i could be completely making all that up but that's what it it's got to be because I can't think of anything else that makes any sense. But to you know, that's interesting because 
it kind of we talked about this a little bit already today like the principle of something versus the letter of it like all these things like have some meaning that is valuable like deep down oh in yeah them. of course no doubt but we like, know that yes but there's got to be a better way to say that <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah. well that's that's our whole point that's meeting shrapnel that, wrapped up right there. okay great yes. that's just like sitting on a drink i mean yeah. why not just say hey dude you're off track you need you know you you need some help mm-hmm. instead of hey you're, you're sitting on a drink i know mm-hmm. you yeah you you probably should pray and go to a meeting yeah yeah so sobriety is the deadly aspect of my alcoholism let's let's hope we don't hear it anywhere mm-hmm. i mean i don't even know if people would understand what it means well if we do hear it if we go to a meeting and hear it and we, i I make a commitment to go up and ask that person what that means. Maybe they can explain it. Yes. Shelly, what are you going to do with this one? Y'all keeping it or scrapping it? No, this one's gone. Gone. 100% gone. Jerry? Scrap. It's out of here. All right. Well, three for three. Three for three. Although Shelly had a good point on the acceptance. I could go, I could go back on acceptance. We could maybe bring that. Maybe we should ask the listeners. Well, Shank, since it, it was so beneficial to you, I mean. For sure. It really was. Well, if you take, if you're going to, if you're going to keep it, then it's kept. Well, I'm going to have to think about it some more. Hey, this is a, hold on. This is a first on the pod. Well, maybe we need, this needs to be a group conscience. We need some more discussion on this. This ties right into tradition too, Shelly. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) It does. it out with a bow. It's it's perfect. So we're letting the loving God Mm -hmm. work through the group conscience. Well, that means that I shouldn't, I shouldn't have to make a decision right now then. You don't have to make a decision right now. We'll. (laughs) We'll we'll take this under prayerful consideration. Yes. We're not even going to send out anything official. But if you're listening and you have a comment or a suggestion or a vote on this, whether we should keep this one or not, send us your your vote. Either keep acceptance as the answer <laughs> to all my problems or or not keep it. All right. And be guided by a loving God. I'm I'm waiting for that to be like removed from the tradition. That's all. That's an entirely different conversation. You watch. If you live another twenty years, you're going to see terms like that go. I hope not. Well, I hope not too. But I think we're headed in that direction. I'm getting us off track. I know you sound like a real old time analogy, Shelly. In my day. No, I didn't say that. Back, back, back when I got sober. He, he is bebot, Shelly. That's the Bible Belt old timer. Yeah. Back, back, back in my day when I got sober. We walked to meetings in the snow. We walked to meetings in the snow, and all we had was the blue book. <laughs> oh my goodness, Shelly! Thanks for coming on. Thanks for asking. Yeah. I appreciate it. 
we appreciate your uh, your experience and your insight. And uh, if you're out there listening, be free. Thanks for listening. If you have a comment, suggestion, or just need help, you can email Shank and Wayne at freedom at alcoholicsalive.com. Remember, we're recovered members of Alcoholics Anonymous, but we do not speak for Alcoholics Anonymous, nor do we get paid. Join us next week for another great episode. Thank you.